y'all. Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I get to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. In this episode number 440, I'm welcoming back to the show a past guest, Christy Steele. Have found a group that can really help sort of kind of what you talked about in a previous episode, take that overwhelm, which is based from like fear of, ah, I don't know a little bit less overwhelm and understanding and kind of getting a better picture of how that fits into your family. You know, if we're going to talk about college, what will that cost? So Christy came on the show episode 39. That's right. 401 episodes ago. She was on the show talking about what she was doing at the time. She was a COO of Work of Worth International, where she was connecting artisans with consumers to help bring freedom to women who were had been in sex trafficking, children of injustice, and those in poverty. Well, now she's doing some more freedom work. She is helping parents of particularly international students, whether they're there because of missions or um, diplomats connecting them with the American college education system, universities, and how they can apply for financial aid and just the whole process of applying to college. And today she is helping us. Uh, She has so much wisdom, so many practical tips. And if you are in this stage, I hope this is helpful. I understand that not a lot of you are in the college application process. Once again, this is where my selfishness comes out. Um, But I do think that this is going to be helpful. So tell your friends, if you have mentors, if you have other friends that are in this stage to come and listen and get connected with Christy, we are going to talk about all the things, all the things about applying, all the changes to FAFSA this year coming up, what you need to know, how to take advantage of what you can do now so that there is more peace, so that we can be good stewards of our finances, and so that we don't discount an educational journey for our kids just because of the cost. So let's get right to it. Here we go. Christy, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I don't know if you know, we rebranded since 2014. I mean, I just looked it up, episode 39. Okay? Okay. And you're at like episode 10,000 now. Uh, no, but yeah, we're in the four somethings. So welcome back. Wouldn't it be cool if this was episode 439 and you were like uh, exactly 400 episodes later? I don't think it is, but Aww. thank you for joining me. And you've done, I mean, back in the day when we talked and now where you are is you're in a different industry field. As moms, we are always growing and bending and God's assigning us to new spaces And when you reached out to me, you had me on your podcast, it was so interesting to me what your role is now and how you are helping parents. And so we decided this would be really helpful and selfishly for me, for the parents who are launching kids into college. So tell people real quick where you work and what your role is in this world right now beyond being a mom. You do have kids. You can tell people about your kids too. Yes, I have two kids in high school, so I'm not talking about anything that isn't applicable to our family as well. Um, When we met so long ago, I was doing international business with a group that brought women out of exploitation into employment. And using that international business, a university, a Christian university, hired me to do international and missionary kid recruiting, which was really fun. 
they felt like they could teach me the admissions part, but the international cultural piece was a little bit harder to teach. And they were right. I mean, I grew up overseas, and so it was a lot of fun. But in the process of that, I really realized that a lot of families, there were just things that they didn't know. And so after almost five years, I left to help international students and expat families. So that's like missionary, diplomat, foreign service, really cross this bridge of like, you know, if you don't have a high school counselor or your high school counselor is too busy. I mean, my kids are at a public school and there's 2000 kids there. And I have international counselors that'll tell me, you know, I only had one hour with our students this month and I just, I feel really guilty. And, and I'll just smile and tell them, well, my kids have 15 minutes a year. So I think you're doing okay. (laughs) You know, so context is everything. And if you're a homeschool family and you don't necessarily have that resource, then that's kind of what I set out to do is fill that gap because I did feel like I was saying a lot of the same things when I recruited and families just were really stuck. I mean, it's a new industry in the sense that so much had changed even before COVID and now a lot has changed and it just is a a cycle of that, I think, just by nature of life. I mean, I, I don't think there's an industry really in the world that hasn't. And so I really enjoy what I do and it's just resourcing and helping families. And part of that, of course, is finances because college is a huge financial decision and commitment. And so um, have found a group that can really help sort of kind of what you talked about in a previous episode, take that overwhelm, which is based from like fear of, ah, I don't know, to a little bit less overwhelm and understanding and kind of getting a better picture of how that fits into your family. You know, if we're going to talk about college, what will that cost? Yeah. And I think for me, when I didn't understand and you kind of told me some things and I've you connected me with the group and I watched a boot camp on financial aid. In my mind, I had discounted, like those are just places my son cannot go because they're too expensive. And just the simple knowledge that not everybody pays the sticker price, like not everybody pays that, was new information to me. And so one of my hopes in this is to equip parents that our goal being for our kids to be at the places God wants them to be, to do the things that God's planned for them to be, not for our own like trophy kids, but just to set them up because we want believers out in the world in places where they can shine lights and they can use their gifts and talents. And so that's like big, big picture on my hope of you coming on here. But then just really like brass tacks, like since parents don't know, just talking in general about financial aid. So you your kids applying to colleges, you're seeing how much it costs for tuition, room and board, et cetera. And it's like, okay, how do we cover this? And so kind of talk us through what is financial aid in general? Well, one of the things to keep in mind when we consider financial aid is that a lot of what we'll talk about today does not apply to selective schools or Ivy League schools. They have a completely different process and they don't typically grant in the way that, say, you know, the other 2,400 schools in the U.S. do. (laughs) So if you're looking at Ivy League, like, that's its own conversation. That's its own conversation. Um, But, you know, a good many families may apply to one, but they also apply to others, or I hope you do. Yeah. I mean, Ivy League should be your reach school um, for a lot of families. And if it's not, then, you know, add another Add another one in just for fun. Yeah. If if no other reason. And well, and that was what you just said, reach school. That was new language for me. If if you're a parent of a junior or a sophomore, this concept of like this is a school that we're in the smaller percentage of getting in based on GPA, 
scores. And then there's like a, I don't know what they, what do they call a guarantee school or like, what are the three categories? There's a reach reality. And then, you know, pretty much guaranteed that, you know, you wouldn't have any issue getting in. Yeah. And all of the, all of that language has to do with your being admitted into the school, not your financial position, (laughs) which is a reach for all of us usually. Yeah. But it's your, it's your admission status. You know, is it a reach to get into Harvard? It would be for me. Is it a reach to get into, you know, Brown? Probably. Um, Is it realistic to get into a state school? Yeah, I think so. Is it realistic to get into a private Christian school? Most likely, unless you just have a horrific GPA. (laughs) And even then, like, like, guys, I've I've seen a lot of stories and a lot of kids and you can land somewhere. Oh, there's a place for everyone. And, you know, when we were in school, I'm 45, when we were in school, you know, community college had a certain stigma to it. And it really doesn't have that anymore. I mean, when I worked in a university, I had so many students that transferred from community college because they were doing pre-professional degrees. And that means like pre-veterinarian, pre-nursing, pre-med. And it's cheaper to do your prerequisites at a community college where if you you know are eligible for a Pell Grant from FAFSA, which we'll talk about, then a lot of times those costs are covered. But it's much cheaper to do your prerequisites there than at a university and you can transfer in and then do your core classes for that particular pre-professional degree there. And so, you know, if you're a student that they know they want to do med school, they know they want to do law, they know they want to do, you know, veterinary school, then that's that's a good thing. And I mean, I think there's not a single person, no matter what your faith system is, that doesn't appreciate stewardship. <laughs> and so that's kind of what this conversation is about. And so when we think about financial aid, you know, what does what does that mean? What does financial aid mean? And in the university world in North America, it kind of means a combination of three things, need-based aid, institutional aid, and institution in this context refers to the university, so like college, university, and then outside aid. And so I kind of look at it in three buckets in, in that regard. So institutional aid is money that the university itself stewards, the institution stewards, and that's endowments and grants that they have control over they can decide. Outside aid is, you know, scholarships that you would apply for. Like the the one that I always use is Bill and Melinda Gates. You know, that's something that you apply for that the university has no control over. They have no stewardship over. And then need-based aid is really your own need. Um, what the government and the university establishes is your need. And you'll hear, you'll hear that, like, what do you need to you know, have university um, support to attend from a financial perspective. And so those are kind of the three buckets that we look at and how how those work. So we can talk a little bit more about fleshing those out, you know, if that would be helpful, do you think? I think for me, it was helpful to hear about the three buckets because in my mind, I just assumed, well, needs-based, we probably don't qualify because we're probably in that zone where we have salaries that are too high. Now, of course, they don't consider the fact that we have four (laughs) private school tuitions for the last 12 years and like how much money is going out and how much, how little we have. I like in my mind had already decided that's probably not for us. So we probably won't get any financial aid, but it was really helpful to hear. Now there's other sources and other qualifications. And what I'm finding out is when you get admitted to schools, they look at 
like your ACT score. And if it's in a certain range, there's sometimes like an automatic, you get this amount of money just for getting that score. So it's worth, like we've spent like a couple hundred dollars, not thousands, to get a coach to increase his ACT score because the couple hundred is actually getting us thousands and tens of thousands. So you're kind of... (laughs) like a gambling game a little bit with your child for a one-day test. It's kind of ridiculous in my mind, but this is the system. But I do think your three buckets, that's really helpful to not discount yourself as getting any aid. Okay, y'all, I have the coolest sponsor to connect you with. It's Seven Weeks Coffee. And you may be wondering, what Seven Weeks Coffee? Well, It is a pro-life coffee company with the simple mission of providing world-class coffee and donating 10% of every sale to pregnancy centers. In their first month, they sold $8,000 worth of coffee and they were able to donate $800 and they thought that was the coolest thing. Well, in just two years, their coffee movement has gone nationwide and they have raised over $250,000 supporting over 700 pro-life pregnancy centers. Now, why is it called seven weeks? Well, at seven weeks gestation, a baby is the size of a coffee bean. It's also the same time a mother has her first ultrasound. So that's why they donate 10% of every sale to pregnancy care centers to support their ultrasound services. Now, maybe you're a coffee snob and that's okay. Let me tell you what makes their coffee the best. It's organically farmed, pesticide-free, mold-free, sourced from the top 1% to 2% of coffee beans in the world. And it's direct trade, the most ethical way to source coffee. So they help farmers and pay 300% more than what fair trade requires. Since coffee is the second largest commodity in the world traded, second to oil, this makes seven weeks coffee pro-abundant life from the farmer to the mother. So when you drink seven weeks coffee, you will be directly helping a pregnancy care center in need. Now you can have an impact saving lives simply through your morning cup of coffee. Moms, how cool is that? This is the ultimate don't mom alone move. We like to ask one question. Will you let your coffee serve a greater purpose? If so, use the code DMA for 10% off store wide. Go to sevenweekscoffee.com and use that code DMA to get 10% off storewide. Sevenweekscoffee.com. Yeah, and everybody technically, except for an Ivy League, a select a select school, is really eligible for some type of aid. And, you know, to me, I, I mean, that's funny, the analogy of gambling. But to me, I really kind of look at it as a return on your investment. That's better. You're that's making better a small <laughs> investment. But I mean, it does feel like a gamble because yeah. it is a risk. You know, yeah. if we do this, will it equal this? And, you know, I have students that tell me, like, I'm not a good test taker. Therefore, I'm not going to take the SAT or the CLT, the classical learning test. If you're a homeschooled family, the ACT, you know, that's just it's too much. And, and for a lot of students, it is. But, you know, we live in this great day where a lot of universities don't require that for admission, but they do require it for some of their scholarships. And so if you're on that line, if you're a sophomore, junior, senior, and you're thinking, I'm not sure if this is worth it, then I would really consider it if for no other reason that you don't want to be in your senior year trying to register for the test in October and 
you know, the, the dates are full or your deadline for the scholarship is December 1 and you're hoping that your test scores will be in in time, you know, I mean, just take away that pressure. And it is money, you know, it's money to take the SAT. It's money to work with this partner that I'll talk about. But, you know, the return could be, you know, five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000. And so the great piece, I think, about the entire U.S. system is this portion of it that, you know, when you apply for college, you are applying for the admission, but it also puts you in the pool for, for scholarships. So let's, let's talk about that a little yeah. bit. And that kind of goes in the institutional aid bucket a little bit. And what I like to say is that if you can, you know, kind of concentric circle, all three of those, the center, if you're able to access all three of those, the center is your sweet spot. If you're able to get to all three of those, but the, the three being needs-based institutional and outside aid. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you can get a little bit of each of those buckets, yeah. Then, you know, that's kind of your sweet spot in the center. But when you apply for college, and if you're a student or if you're a parent and you're listening, um, it really does two things. It tells them about you, and that's why they require what seem to be superfluous things like an essay and a letter of recommendation. You're like, why? This is so much work. <laughs> and it is, but they really want to know you beyond just your transcript, beyond your grades. And this actually helps you because – this process, the just beyond your grades, is what helps them give what's called merit-based aid. And that's aid based on, you know, perhaps your test score, if they require that, your transcript, your letter of recommendation, your essay. It's who you are. Because most schools are looking to award or reward you for you. And so not all students are, you know, heavy academic. So then what do they do? They award like community service or leadership awards. And so for a lot of financial aid letters, you'll see you know, you've qualified for the McInerney scholarship. And it's like, you know, some person named McInerney that passed away and left an endowment and they, you know, have an academic endowment. Or you've qualified for the McIntosh scholarship and it's, you know, community service leadership based. And so they have the ability to grant awards and grants are money that you don't have to pay back. And so you always want that kind of money that you don't have to pay back. It's not a loan and it's not something you have to pay back. And that's the school's discretion to do that. But your application is in some ways a scholarship application. And so if you're a student and you're like, this is a pain, I don't want to spend an hour doing this. Well, let me tell you guys, I don't think in my lifetime I will ever make $10,000 for an hour. Yeah. So consider the return on your investment that if you have to, oh, if you have to spend two hours and it yields you ten dollars or $15,000 in scholarship just for who you are, mm. that's totally worth it. Or do you think like, I know some people who will hire people to help with the application itself and writing the essays, like that could possibly worth be worth the return on investment if it's like you're having a hard time kind of coming up with a story. I, I've heard it's like a marketing document of how you, the child, are going to like become this thing, but in order to become this thing, you would love to partner with this school so that you can, like you're telling this story, like this is what I've done Mm -hmm. to this point. I would love to partner with you so that I can now become this thing. And so if you're having a hard time coming up with that story, it might be helpful to have an outside perspective who can ask questions and. Yeah. I always encourage students to have at least one or two other people read it, whether they have a college like admissions background or not. And there's some universities you can ask the admission counselor to read it and give you feedback and they'll do that. Mm. So, you know, always ask the question if you feel like you need help with your essay. um, There's a lot of resources. I've got a couple on my site that will help you with that. You know, 
schools, universities are looking for two things. They want to know how you're going to consume. Like, what are you taking from us? Obviously academics, probably social life, probably maturing, you know, maturing a little bit, hopefully mentoring. (laughs) And then they also want to know, how are you going to contribute? What are you going to give us? How are you going to be an asset to the school? And so that's kind of what that essay is, you know, why us, like, why are you choosing this university? But then why, why are you interested in us? What are you going to give to us? What do you bring to the table? And the best essays, you know, really are, in my opinion, ones that tell a story that is unique to you and gives the perspective of how it felt in that experience. Mm. And nobody can deny how you feel. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of opportunities to review those things and and have, you know, submit your best work. And that's really what you need to do. I mean, you don't need to make it somebody else's work and get help with your application in, in that way. But well, I think it's it's helpful to know that it's beyond just admission that these things are for. Like, I don't know that I even knew that until going through it, that this is part of the scholarship process is even all of those things, the letters and the essays. So what else do we need to know about these buckets? So that's that's a piece of it is that your application can actually yield you scholarship. And then, you know, the FAFSA is is the second piece of that. And that's, you know, this is intimidating. These letters are intimidating. F-A-F-S-A. That's right. And it stands for the free application for federal student aid. So it's related to your taxes, which, you know, most of us have or should have. Um, <laughs> Unless it's you're evading them and that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> I'm, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it is, el- you're eligible for it if you are a U.S. citizen or permanent resident. So if you, like I have families that, you know, the parents are non-U.S. citizens, but their student is, and they're living abroad, they're teachers, you know, there's a bunch of circumstances there, kind of like your parents, you know, they were in Costa Rica, they were expats. Yeah. And when you have that eligibility, you've paid into the tax system for a while. And so the, the goal is for you to use that application or another one that's not federally based. It's called the CSS Profile, and that's run through College Board, who does the SAT. And both these forms, the whole goal, if you don't hear anything else from this conversation, is that those forms help determine what an institution or government thinks that you can afford to contribute to university. And so the FAFSA is a big deal because it determines your eligibility for a Pell Grant, which is free money, and if you're eligible for the full, it's like $7,500. That's a lot of money. That's half your room and board. And um, it also gives you eligibility for special priced loans. And it also gives you eligibility for federal work study, which may not sound like too sexy of a thing. But if you qualify for that, then it doubles your employment options on campus because you have two types of employment options. One is federal work study, which is funded by the federal government. And then one is university work study, which is funded by like a university department. So like when I was in college, I worked in the library. Well, that was a departmental funded position. It was still work study. So if you qualify for both of those, then you kind of have double the chances. And so well, tell it's me, work study it out. for the person who didn't do work study. Is that helping pay for your tuition? Is that paying for your room and board? What is that? Does that just a it job? It is your discretion. Okay. So yeah, it's work a study job. is just an on-campus okay. job. And it's great because for a lot of schools, you don't have to have a car. You can walk to your job. Um, Most work-study positions are going to be within hours that are reasonable for you as a student. Um, It's probably not high paid, but I mean, for example, I worked in the library and in the summer, I would work 
And if you're on a work-study job, you can only work 20 hours a week because you are a student, so there is a limit. Um, but in the summer, when you're not in class, you can work 40 hours a week. And so I, I sat in the summer, Heather, in the library and read books. I read novels and got paid. <laughs> it was fabulous. This sounds like a good thing. But I, I think I want to point out to people, in my mind, I thought, well, I shouldn't fill out the FAFSA because we're not going to get money anyway. I did not realize that if you hope to get any of the bucket of the institutional aid, you need to fill out the FAFSA. There are schools that require you to fill out the FAFSA or the CSS, whichever one they use, to be considered for merit-based scholarships. And so that's, you know, every school handles things differently. And while that's really annoying to a lot of people, you really have to think of it as like you handle your family finances differently than other families do. And so a university is a family and they handle their finances according to how their board tells them to Mm -hmm. and policies. And so that's kind of how you have to think of that. And so if your student is able to narrow down to five or seven schools, then that will help you sort of list like what are their policies? Do they require it? And some states require it. Like I live in Alabama and every student in Alabama has to file the FAFSA. It's a free form. Yeah. But there's but there's good news. Are you going to get to the good news or you still have more to say about no. the good news about the FAFSA? The reason it's why we changing. don't have it already. Yes. So normally it opens October 1st, but this year, because of the Simplification Act that was passed, it is probably opening late December, early January. They're saying December, but I mean, it's November 10th and we have not seen any sign. Yeah, they were saying December 1st forever. That was the... Yeah, I don't think... I think that's... um, This is going to be a Christmas break filling out. It is. So, and it used to have how many questions? I mean, you said the simplification. It used to have over 100. Okay. Mm-hmm. And now it has, from what I've seen in the 30s, I've heard 36, but it could be, you know, 41-ish. But the goal with the Simplification Act was really to simplify it. And I think that it's done at least two things. One, it's simplified it so it's not so complex. And two, it's really narrowed down some things that were that were really not as helpful through the process for universities and the government to have. And so for me, I think that the whole process has been streamlined and is really good. Um, And most of the changes are fantastic. So if you want to jump into the changes, we can do that. Yeah, let's do it. Does your makeup follow the trends of the season? Like, do you have makeup for fall season, like a velvet lip or earth tones. I know for me, y'all know that I've had my colors done and I stick to the makeup that goes with my skin tone. But what I don't change is my Thrive Cosmetics mascara. I am such a fan of the unicorn of Thrive Cosmetics because it's 100% vegan, it's cruelty-free, it's clean, skin-loving, high-performance, and uncompromising standards. And not only that, they give back, which I'll talk about in a second. What I love is with the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara, it stays on all day without clumping, smudging, flaking. It looks like lash extensions because my lashes can heal and stay healthy because I'm not breaking them off when I remove the mascara. It slides right off with warm water and washcloth. It creates this tube, their flake-free tubing formula lengthens and defines my lashes. It also has some nourishing ingredients that support longer, stronger, healthier looking lashes over time. 
and with my Thrive Cosmetics. I know that every product that's purchased, they donate products and funds to help communities thrive. All year long, they're giving to causes like cancer, survivors of domestic abuse, homelessness, poverty, veterans, under-resourced youth, education, and so many more communities win with your purchase of Thrive Cosmetics. And so I want to give you a little code to help you out so you can cozy up and get your fall look going with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. You can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com forward slash DMA. That's Thrive Cosmetics and it's spelled out C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S.com slash DMA for 20% off your first order. I have shared the skylight frame with y'all before, and it is such a great gift to give your gran- the grandparents, your parents. My mom lives in Florida. We gave her one. You can send photos via email. Anyone can. Any of my siblings can to this frame, and they pop up. It's so great, and I love when I'm at my in-law's house. I see the frame in their kitchen. Well, I finally have one for myself, and can I just say that if you have not purchased one for your own family, this Christmas might be the time. Especially, I'm talking to you parents of teens. I really, really am loving that in the kitchen where my boys are, a lot of the time, they are being reminded of our past, of our connection, of some great memories. And I think when sometimes you get into the feeling zone of teen years, it can be, I don't know, it can be a bummer some days. And to have some hilarious picture of them in Halloween costumes when they were three or four pop up on the skylight frame, y'all, it's bringing me a lot of joy. So if you are looking for an idea for your parents or for your spouse or even just a family gift, someone you know that had a new baby, I am going to definitely recommend the skylight. It's touchscreen. So when I send a picture from my phone to either my parents or my own skylight frame, it appears in seconds. Now, if you're giving it as a gift, you can even preload photos before the box is even open. They have a gift option when you go to their site. It is effortless. Like I said, you have a unique email that goes with your frame. It's super easy to set up if you have parents that may not be as tech savvy. They plug in, they connect to the Wi-Fi, and boom. Because it's touchscreen, you can swipe through photos, you can tap and give it a new heart, you can zoom in and out. It looks really beautiful. They have so many new color options. They have black, white, silver, and they have a new poppy color, which is like an orangey red and gold. And I think it's helpful. They have an app, a free app that you can send and scroll photos through. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Because they are confident you're going to love Skylight, and I am too, I'm confident you're going to love it, they have a 120-day return, over a million happy customers, thousands of five-star reviews, and it's available in over 30 countries. You have got to check this out. So there's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. You can get $15 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com forward slash alone to get $15 off your purchase of a skylight frame just go to skylightframe.com forward slash alone that's skylight frame spelled out s-k-y-l-i-g-h-t-f-r-a-m-e dot com slash alone and people may not know the changes because maybe this is our first time to ever 
But I, if you have older kids that have gone to college, this might be helpful for you to know. Yes, whether you have a senior and you're waiting to apply or whether you have a student in college, these changes will apply to you because you have to apply for the FAFSA every year because oh, that's new information for change. me. Mm-hmm. Every year you have to apply. And this is this is a good thing. One, because your finances, you know, can shift from year to year. But two, if you have multiples coming in, then, you know, it it also helps you at least document that, that you have that. So real quick question. You said it's based on taxes. So for this one that's coming out in December, which tax document would it be coming off of? So if you are class of 2024, so if you have a senior right now, it'll be based off of your 2022 taxes because that's the tax year that's completed. We're in the 2023 year, so it can't you can't submit taxes based on a year that's not completed. Okay, 2022. And that's kind of how you have to think of it. So I have a junior. He's 2025. We will use this year's 2023 tax returns. And there's little tricks in the trade of thinking about that, right? We won't get into that, but do your changes. I'm going to get us off track. Yes, yes. So the main um, basis of the FAFSA is your parent income. That's the That's the big driver of the whole form. And so if you're if you're a parent and you go back to your, like, say your 1040 tax form, it'll be on line 11, your adjusted gross income. That's what they're looking for. If you're a student, they're looking to see if you've made more than $9,400 a year, which most students haven't. 9400 so as a student. Not, mm-hmm, okay. 9400 Okay. So those are, the, those are the main drivers, our parent income. And then, you know, assets that you have that are not retirement-based. Okay. What would that look like? So that would be, you know, not Roth, not 401k, 4013b. So an asset like an investment, like a, a or like a property. Investment. But I'm saying like a non-retirement would be what? What's an example of that? Um, it, it would be, yeah, a property that you had, like a rental property. Um, it would be, you know, savings account. Um, you do if you have a 529 account, that balance is now going to be included. They're saying like you have this income. Mm-hmm. And okay. so if you have a 529 balance, they'll look at your balance as a whole, even if it's for multiple kids. I've been in several webinars now that have talked about this, that one of the biggest changes that is a little confusing is that they're not accounting for multiples in the sense that in the past, if you had like say two kids in college, they would account for that and make adjustments and it would affect your eligibility positively because you were obviously paying for two. And now they're saying, you know, they're not going to make an allowance for that, but there has to be, all the experts I've listened to have said like there has to be some kind of allowance by the university or there, there has to be something in the plans. So even though they're saying that's not true, there's going to be pushback. I think so. Yeah. And so either the universities will make an allowance, like you have two kids, we see that we'll make an adjustment, you know, on what your eligibility is, or the government has plans to do that. I mean, I don't think anyone has seen like the full official form um, beyond just the people in the government. (laughs) So the biggest changes are, you know, the filing in December, probably January, it will return if you have a junior, it will return back to October 1st. Next. Okay. So that's not, you know, this is just a one-off year. And then the the other big change is that every contributor, so a student, you know, a parent, 
um, both of those would be considered contributors, will now have to re, um, apply for what's called an FSA ID. And so this is something that you can do now. So if you're listening and you're like, these changes don't impact me until December or January, that is true because it doesn't open. But go ahead and you know go to the FAFSA website and we can provide that link in the show notes and and create your FAFSA ID. I've heard some people say it can take two weeks to four weeks to for them to create it and give it to you. And so if you have filed FAFSA previously, then you already have this. But if you're a new family, like you have a senior, then go ahead and, and apply for it. Because when it does open, you want to be able to actually utilize the information that you have. And this is for parents, whether, you know, you have a social security or not, number or not, then, you know, you can still do this. And so like I work with families that, you know, are non-U.S. citizens, they might not have a social security number. So this would apply to you as well, no matter who you are, if you're applying, you know, if you're a student or family is a U.S. citizen, then that would definitely apply. And then the income that they're looking at does come from your taxes. And so you'll need to pull out your tax information. And then one of the biggest benefits is that it eliminates a lot of untaxed income. And so if you had income that, you know, wasn't taxed on your taxes before, they're taking that out. And so like the biggest example of this is say, if you're a pastor family or missionary or clergy, or, you know, maybe you're in another job, you're a diplomat and you have benefits to your job, like a housing benefit, a car, education, and we'll talk about private school in just a second. That's a benefit. And so you don't have to include that as part of your salary because it is a benefit. It's not, it makes your salary look overinflated. Ah. And so that was a problem for a lot of people was that part of their salary included these benefits and it made it look like they had an overinflated salary. But it wasn't money that like they're buying groceries from, right? It was a benefit towards that. It was, it was, we see that you're living overseas and there's extra costs in these ways. And so the sending agency or whoever the government is sending you out and you're like, we're going to cover these things. Yeah. yeah. Or you're a pastor and you have a housing allowance, but it made it look like you had this huge salary and then you don't. So that has been adjusted for, which is probably one of the biggest things that, that I'm, I'm grateful for. And I'll just park right here and just say, if, you know, you are a family that has paid exorbitant costs for private schooling, then, you know, you really need to talk to the financial aid office about applying whatever their form is. A lot of times it's called a special circumstance form, but usually they have some kind of form for that type of allowance, Heather. Oh. So if you've paid an exorbitant amount in private school, you know, you can appeal and say like, we have dished out this much money. And while it looks like we have this much money, we have invested this much money. <laughs> And so that's a special form in addition to the FAFSA. In addition. Okay. And you know, and what's what, it called again? I'm writing it down. <laughs> the special circumstance form. Special circumstance. Okay. And sometimes it's called something different. But what you need to know is that if you've made a hefty investment in something like education, then there are times, there's no guarantee, you know, this is at the school's discretion, but there are times that it does pay off to call the financial aid office and say, listen, we've paid for X amount of kids. This is how much it's been in private school costing. Are there any appeals or allowances in this? Sometimes there are, sometimes there are not, but it's worth the call, right? It doesn't cost you anything to call and ask. And one thing I want to point out, you talked about all the contributors. For the people listening who have maybe there's been a divorce and a remarriage, like who of the parents are considered contributors? Is it, because I know this is maybe That's a changed. a great question. Yeah. Yes, yes. So um, I have that in like who's impacted by these changes. So um, low-income families are some that are impacted in a positive way. 
If you're a business owner, they're changing some of those rules. Um, usually it's for people that have 100 employees or, or more. They get a positive? Mm-hmm. Okay. It'll be better. Okay. And then if you have a child in college, you know, we kind of talked about those changes. And then for divorced families, there are some pretty hefty changes. So I'm divorced and remarried, and that impacts me. And the biggest change is that in the past, whoever had the most custody time, if you were split 50-50 or contributed the most – was the one that filed, and you both had to file, but they were the one that was kind of responsible. And the changes now from everything that we've read it is saying that whoever has the biggest salary, whoever contributes the most to the child, and only one parent has to apply. Interesting. And so, like, you know, if you're not sure how to do this, and I'm just going to say this because... I'm not assuming that every family operates well together after they've split. You know, if you are like, well, they're not going to disclose how much they're making and I'm not going to disclose how much I'm making. The best thing to do is find a third party, a mediator, your attorney, somebody turn those in. And then the attorney determines who's making more and nobody's finances are at risk because what you just need is someone to say that's, you know, a non-biased party that dad, you need to file or mom, it would actually be more beneficial if you file. Yeah. It's good. It's very helpful because this is very this is a very common and I'm glad they made these changes because yeah, that can get complicated. It can. And I think I mean, there's very few things. The multiples thing is probably the only one that I'm like, if you have two in college, you should be compensated or acknowledged for that. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, for the most part, I think the changes have been very positive. And so those that's kind of who is who's impacted the most. And then you know, the, the changes, I think, are beneficial for a lot of different populations. You know, I think they've made it easier. Yeah. Talk about that. Like, why why the simplification? I've, I've heard a little bit of the reasoning behind it, but I'd love for listeners to know that. Well, it was really cumbersome. You've got all of these questions. And then a lot of families who, because of the questions, really got confused. And then they would get aspects of it wrong. And then their form would get stuck in what's called verification, while you know, a university had to verify your income in some way or, you know, something. And so then it lengthened the whole process of what your financial aid package could be. Mm. And so this has simplified it a good bit so that, you know, the information they're asking is very straightforward and in many ways is just not as complex. Like, I don't want to say anyone can fill it out because tax forms are just really complicated. I'm like, I hate but, all of the words that have been said yeah. so far. I get so, yeah. yeah mm, not, I was a biology major. Okay. Okay. Really? Like, yeah. Let's talk about mitochondria. Okay. Not, you know, <laughs> assets and all That's that awesome. jazz. Um, so you asked about yeah. this, you know, what if you don't qualify? What if you think like, I make too much money. Um, I don't want to qualify for this. So I kind of have two answers to that. One is, um, I work with this great MyCap College Aid Pro, and they're fabulous. And you can look at three schools for free and just see, like, what would your SAI, Student Aid Index, and that's what they're, that's what the form, that's the result of the form. You know, what is your Student Aid Index? And that's a number that the government will kind of use to say, like, you're eligible or you're within this range of eligibility for things. And it will it will give you that. And it's not reported, so you can play with it. You can add money from grandma. You can take money from grandma out. Um, if it's in your tax form, it's in your tax form, baby. I can't change that. I have people that are like, should I move this from savings and give it to someone else? I'm like, too late. I can't answer that question. It's already reported. But if you have a so, junior, these are things to do in 2023, right? Well, it'll, it'll be this year. 
What so I'm if you're saying, a sophomore. if okay, sophomore, like these are things. <laughs> like if you're thinking ahead, it would be helpful to be like, oh, mm -hmm. this is the tax. Yeah. And so if you're in that position and you're not sure, I have a resource for you that they're experts in and it's very worthwhile. So we'll get to that in a second. But you, if you're asking yourself why, you know, why would I fill this out? I'm, I'm, I'm confident that, that I don't qualify. I think, you know, you need to remember kind of what we talked about in the beginning. And that's that your student qualifies on who they are. And so if that form is required for them to be considered for scholarship, merit-based aid, or like an honors program, or some kind of scholarship, then fill it out. You know, you may not be eligible for federal aid, but don't, you know, hamstring your child's potential by not being eligible for other scholarships. I heard someone say they didn't want to fill it out because they don't want the government to have all that information or the college to have all that information. Have you heard that before? Well, I have, and the government already has it because you filled out your taxes, right. unless you're evading. That's a whole other conversation. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I mean, the form is not a big brother form. The form is, you know, can we help you? Yeah. Or are you able to help yourself? And I, and I would say, you know, I, I've, I've seen very few families that I work with. Now, I don't work with millionaires, but I see very few families that I work with that have regretted doing it because it hasn't resulted in something. Hmm. And so, you know, even if it's a $5,000 leadership scholarship, I mean, that's worth it. That's like your meal plan. Yeah. Well, and like you were saying that my college cap, is that what it is that mm -hmm. you mentioned? I, I went on there and I did it and you can pick three schools and it gives you that index for your student and it lays out like, this is the sticker price. This is how much the school says it costs. This is how much your student might get. This is how much aid you might need to take out in a loan. Like it's super helpful to lay all that out because like I said at the very beginning, we would have maybe discounted a school based on costs, but to see that, and it's interesting to see it's a state school. He would be an out-of-state student, how the out-of-state schools are so different. Like their out-of-state mm -hmm. numbers vary so wild, wildly. It's worth doing the research and not just being like, well, we're out. And that's what I love about them because it, they have their software has all the updated changes, and so if you're like, well, what are these new changes? Is this software applicable for this? And it is. You can put in your information and see today, you know, generally what they would be given. Now, if your student is looking at like a biology scholarship, it is not going to account for that because right. that is a specified scholarship. However, if you have a senior, they can go back in and add that scholarship. And it is one of the things I love about their entire program is that, especially if you have a senior. You can go back in and add your scholarship, add your financial aid forms, and you can look down to the dollar comparison. So you don't have to have an Excel sheet. You don't have to lay everything on the table and be like, who's better? What does this really mean? Yeah. What are they really giving us compared to X, B, C, D? And so it, it helps you do that. And um, it's just, it's a fantastic resource. And I will say, you know, you mentioned private school and, and state schools. If you're looking at out-of-state state school there are out-of-state fees. If you're looking at a private school, Christian or otherwise, there's no out-of-state. I mean, it, the, the tuition is what it is. So sometimes you might be like, it might be more beneficial to consider the private school because you're getting more attention, smaller class sizes for the same cost as being an out-of-state student at a state school. Mm -hmm. And I, I've seen students that have actually looked at a private school in state or out-of-state and it's been cheaper than the state school just because they have a bigger endowment. Yeah. 
And so, you know, very few families pay the actual price that you see what's called the cost of attendance, the COA. Very few families pay that. And so, you know, just, and that's part of what that whole process looks like is what am I eligible for in terms of need? Am I eligible? And then what, what is my student likely to get in, in a general form? And, you know, how you choose that, whether it's private or public, that's a whole another conversation that I would be happy to have with you because I, f- I feel like stewardship of universities and their students matters more than the actual money. You know, I would wager every person that listens to you, Heather, has invested heavily in their kids emotionally, mentally, physically, financially. And then just to like throw your kids out into a sea of, you know, 400 people in a classroom with a teaching assistant that will never know them. That's a hard, that's a hard switch for your kids. Yeah. Um, I know you were going to share a resource, but I had just a real quick question as like selfish person here. As the FAFSA is coming out, what documents should I be gathering? Like I'm, I heard obviously the tax from 2022, but like, do I need something else? I'm a little nervous. I'm going to open this up and be, be just dumbfounded on where to find the answers to these questions. The biggest answers will be on your 1040 form if okay. you have that or your W-2. Okay. And so that those are the documents that I would get first. And then if you're looking at like, okay, we've had this big discussion. What do I do today? The first thing that I would do is apply for your ID. So you can go, you know, to the FAFSA website and apply for your ID. So that process begins so that when it opens, you're ready. And then the second thing that I would do, especially if you have a senior Wherever they're applying, whether it's one school, whether it's four schools, go back and check their scholarship deadlines. They are paramount. They are not forgiving. They have hundreds of kids applying, and it doesn't matter what major thing, soccer tournament, whatever they had. Those other hundred kids got their stuff in in time, and you know most of them are like December 1 deadlines. And so if you're a senior, you've got a good window. Take advantage of it. And those, so those and will be the, due before we get the FAFSA. Yeah. Yeah. This is important. And it it's a tricky thing, scholarships, because a lot of schools, um, you know, this is kind of a chicken and the egg thing. This is like one of the secrets of financial aid is that when you're looking at scholarships, you know, a lot of schools have what's called rolling admissions, which means, you know, you can apply in March, which is great. But their scholarship deadline is December 1. Mm-hmm. And so you have missed out on that financial yeah. arc because of that. And so... This is not really, if you're a student or your mom, this is not one of those things you can kind of do overnight because if there's an essay, if there's a letter of recommendation, if your test score is required, like that takes a couple of days to get in, you got to get a recommender. And so you've got this great window, kind of shoot for before Thanksgiving to have that in because most scholarship Which committees- this episode, maybe we need to move this episode up. <laughs> because, <laughs> well, or before December 1st, we're doing it before December 1st, but like a you couple know, days. your, your, your well, goal should be- you know, to have your scholarship stuff in because they can't consider a student for scholarship that hasn't been admitted. Mm -hmm. And so those two things are married together for a lot of those bigger scholarships, like honors program, presidential, trustee, you know, now some scholarships do have a February 15th deadline and that gives you a little bit of wiggle room, but But pay attention to it. But pay attention. I mean, I will say as a parent, we're like, so just, I think we're coming off of the, oh my gosh, we, he finished all the applications. Phew. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I thought, oh no, we need to figure out <laughs> the honors ones. And it's got, so yes, it's a, take and, a little breather and, and then know, get back into it. 
Yeah. And it's, it's an easy thing. You've, if you've applied, you know where you're going in the sense of like you've selected your schools. And so go back and look at their scholarship page. There's usually like, you know, a landing page just for that. Troll through and go, am I eligible for, oh, I'm not a biology major. Okay. Bink. That's not for me. Or, you know, the president's scholarship, this is beyond my GPA. Bink. That's not for me. You know, there's a very easy way to, you know, cut those out. Yeah. Okay. You said there was a resource. Was it the My College Cappers or something else? Yep. My Cap, that's a great resource. You can do three schools for free and see what your cost would be if you're, you know, an Excel lover like I am, or you just want a apples to apples comparison. You can pay for them to go line by line with your FAFSA for you to maximize it. It's expensive. It's $350. But if you were eligible or you want them just to look and see if you're eligible, it's totally worth it. And then if you have a student, especially a junior, uh, maybe a senior, but especially a junior that is just overwhelmed by the whole process, then have them check out on my site, The College Project. It's a self-paced course that just helps them look at who they are and what kind of school fits them best. And then the result is, you know, three to five school profiles so that it actually develops a strategy for them their senior year. That's awesome. And then you're going to offer some things for our listeners. So um, you can get 15% off on my cap um, for any of those things that are paid. And um, the code will be in the show notes. And then we'll offer the college project just for Christmas through December, 50% off. So it's normally 50. 150. So you can get it. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you can get it for 75. Like so it's that. on my site. Yeah. Okay. I You're already it. spending enough money. <laughs> totally. All the time. Food alone. Um, thank you, Christy, for being with me and helping me and holding my hand. And I hope that others will connect with your resources and continue to just be like, it's okay. We got this. It is okay. And it's okay to feel overwhelmed. Um, I will say, you know, you are not, just like Heather says every episode, you're not alone. And there's plenty of people that not only will hold your hand, but will hug you. Yeah. Thanks for being with me. Thanks. Have a great day. Okay. There's great links in the show notes, different things that Christy has connected us with. Make sure you check those out. And I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for this process, this journey for discernment, for wisdom, all the things. Lord, I thank you, first of all, that we're in a position that our kids can get an education, that we live in a country where that's available. And I pray, Lord, as parents and as students are processing this decision, that you would just cover them in a spirit of peace, that you would help them hear your voice specifically for their journey, that you would help us all be good stewards of our time, of our finances, of our relationships with one another, that we could share information with other parents, not seeing their child as competition of taking a spot, but to say, hey, I'm for the kingdom growing and I'm for your kid thriving. And I want them to be at a place that God wants them to be. And so this journey, I'm, I'm you know, linking arms with you for your child to just grow and to be the best human they can be partnering with God. And so I pray, Lord, that we would be that for each other, that as parents, I pray, Lord, to remove any fear, fear of unknowns, fear of what could come in college, to trust that you go before all of our kids and that you walk with them and that you love them more than we ever could. I pray for um, just details and burdens and that you would just help bring comfort to us individually 
as we go through this process. And if, if this parent is listening who still has young kids, that you would ease their mind and heart to know that you will provide the grace for their present moment and um, they can trust you with their present challenges and future ones. Um, you will provide grace in those moments to walk through them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, thanks, y'all. I know this was a little different than normal and you you were bearing with me and I hope you do share if you know someone who's needing this kind of information. I hope you have a fantastic Thanksgiving and uh, you're with your people and you are taking a second for gratitude uh, wherever that is, even if it's in a really hard season. I've, I've, I've celebrated Thanksgivings in hard seasons and I know even in pain and suffering, gratitude does something. It does something good and it is good for us to practice. So I will pray for you to have a moment, a quiet with God to practice some gratitude, write out a few things if you aren't sharing them publicly around your Thanksgiving table. And I'll meet you back here next week. Some of you mentioned that you wish you could hear more of when my kids were little. So we're pulling back up an episode from when my kids were little in a conversation I had um, years and years ago. So join me back here for that next week. All right. Adios. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us, moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3:17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.